Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Lua, producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. This week we are discussing The Rehearsal and Love Island, two shows that put into question how reality is depicted. Yes. Oh, we're about to get real heady up in here. <laughs> I think All this right. will be fun. Like, yeah, I agree. What I agree. a what a pair. What a match. Yeah. How's your week been so far? Week has been mixed. I think. I, I'll say I'm not going to get into it, but I'll say that it is very uncomfortable to experience like being perceived or other people's perceptions of you, <sighs> yeah. strangers' perception of you, especially oh, no. strangers on the internet. So. I mean, I know we both have experience with this, so it's yeah. not a good it's not a good feeling and it's a, always a reminder, I think, of how weirdly like people's opinions of each other are formed based on gossip or yeah. impressions yeah. or or not much at all. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, we talk about reality uh for this episode yeah, yeah. and honestly <laughs> Unless you directly know someone or you have met them and have experiences with them. Um, it's actually just wild how many people will make up a reality about you um, to fit whatever they feel is the most scintillating. It's very odd. I'm sorry you had to go through that this week. That's okay. It's, you know, happens to everyone. And maybe it's a good um, note to myself, like, gossip in general is is fun and good and entertaining but also like not uh, sometimes not very nice uh no often 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 not yeah Yeah. no definitely not so yeah maybe this is gonna be a a life-changing moment for me but probably not really but you know just a good thing (laughs) to keep in my mind but well (laughs) ultimately i think gossip is fine until again like the whole threshold of real life becomes um presented in front of you and you have to decide whether you want to cross it or not you know yeah. I think you know the difference and I think most more people should know the difference. Um unfortunately <laughs> we live in a world where they don't. So yeah. here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Can't thank the internet for that. No. But, uh well, thank you for the pep talk, Helen. In the meantime, Always. how have you been doing? I have been on top of the fucking moon because it yeah? is finally cool again. Ooh. Cool enough to sleep, cool enough to go out and do things. I'm appreciating the temperature drop greatly um, mm. in New York this week. But other than that, I've been okay. I have been deep in the hallows of screen grab internet um, because I'm building <laughs> out a pitch deck for my for my movie, which I just yes. I finished. I finished the script for it, and the next move, for those that don't know, um, is to build out a pitch deck for your film for applications of things, whether they are grants, scholarships, fellowships, all that good stuff. Um, so is, I'm doing that right now. What does a pitch deck look like? Like, what is that? It's literally just like a visual aid mm-hmm. to help people that can't be asked to read your script. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, well, that partly, but also for those that have re- read your script to kind of get an idea of images. Yeah, um, and, and also exactly the visual language, like how it's going to look, how it's going to feel, what it's inspired by. As a Tumblr alumni, this is yeah. very fun for me. Very so, uh, mood board type. A hundred percent. And like, shout out to Tumblr too. A lot of resources that I found online have been from just people archiving screen grabs of films on mm-hmm. Tumblr. So shout out to my fellow Tumblr heads. Um, but it's been really fun, obviously. I have had some films spoiled for me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but it's okay. I will still watch them um Mm -hmm. so it's been fun it's been a nice week where i've been able to work in a cool 
yeah. temperature and a cooler climate. So That's cool. Well, I mean, literally cool. I mean, Stank stupid name for you. No, good good things happening. Uh, I'm very excited for you. Thank you, hun. Yeah, so let's move on to what we've been what we've been scoping out. Uh what's been on your docket this week? So I've been watching the rehearsal on HBO. This is Nathan Fielder's latest work, of course, and I'm just going to say it's billed as a series that, quote-unquote, explores the lengths one man will go to to reduce the uncertainties of everyday life. Uh, Never never, never was there a more generic statement. Yeah. Ever. (laughs) May help you, like, sort of... Not, not really. It's not very helpful, but um, it's maybe a helpful starting point to discussing the thing that this is. So just to get a little bit of the information out of the way, this is going to be a total of six episodes uh, in this season. And as of now, recording time and release time, we have already seen five of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And the finale is due to come out this Friday. Yes. So first off, I think... Just to set the stage a little bit more, we have to answer the question, like, who is Nathan Fielder? Yes. Yeah. So Very important. (laughs) Very important. So I guess the basic answer is he is a Canadian comedian, actor, writer, director, and producer who has been living and working in LA for a while. He's best known for uh, Nathan For You, which ran from 2013 to 2017, as well his as his work as uh, an EP of How To with John Wilson. Yes. Um, so how would you describe his sort of comedy style or his like work style? I think it's kind of veering into reality comedy mm-hmm. in a way. So I grew up on Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Shout out to Ali G one time. <laughs> um, I think... If you have seen a bit of Cohen's work or uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's work, it it reminds you a little bit of that in that Mm. it is about the follies of human existence and just how people can be really funny, especially faced with a personality that makes them feel awkward or uncomfortable. And I think if you like The Office, for example, I think it yeah. also takes a leaf out of that book. Yeah, the um, sort of I cringe aspect. The cringe aspect, you know, obviously Office Space as well. I think the essentially, though, it is rooted around Nathan uh, Fielder as a character of someone that is awkward, socially uncomfortable to those yeah. around him that make him, that, that he makes them feel very very odd or weird or awkward and then just seeing how people react to yeah his like <laughs> you know tour de force of awkwardness yeah that that ends up being the comedy of it all and i think just i think with nathan for you for example the fact that he did it in the greater la area mm-hmm. um said a lot because it yeah, was a lot of like yeah there was something very american social anthropologically leaning <laughs> about about nathan for you I think. it was a lot of um focus on like businesses and strip malls and like the little the, the small little businesses owned by a lot of like everyday people or immigrants or like poc owned businesses even um yeah. not the sort of like glitz and glamour of la that you might imagine like a, a yeah. hollywood type of sorts yeah. So, yeah, I think that's exactly sort of spot on your description. Like, he is in a cohort with Sasha Baron Cohen and other sort of reality comedy types in this field. Yeah, and mining comedy just from, like, the 
things that come out of these very awkward social situations where like he is violating sort of the, the social norms and then it's up to the actual real person to, to react and to respond sometimes in like very unexpected ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an interesting way to go about. He is like, um, more focused on the personal as well. Like like the human psyche. I think like Sasha Baron Cohen, oh, yeah. for example, is, he's often like overtly political or like uh, mocking like mm-hmm. political sort of context but nathan fielder mo- more of his focus has been on the internal self in a way yeah and you can tell from just the setup of the ask in nathan for you for example you know it's based on like the whole improvement shows like whether mm-hmm. it's a makeover of a place or of a person um and I guess it's taken the piss out of that, but mm-hmm. it's funny. I read in his Vulture profile that he <sighs> was also deeply inspired by Darren Brown. And for those that didn't grow up in the UK and don't know who Darren Brown is, he calls himself like a mentalist. Like he's in mm-hmm. the same class of magic slash mentalist of like uh, David Blaine, for example. But mm-hmm. I was always a Darren Brown head because exactly of the reason why like Nathan Fielder is, which is he made people do things that was the opposite of what they should be doing and they were seemingly completely conscious of it Mm -hmm. but because of i guess the mental trickery um that darren said that he was doing or like the force that he was made people do things uh that that they shouldn't necessarily it was just fascinating Mm -hmm. to watch people like it was nuts it was just it like there were some you if you get curious go on youtube watch some clips um like some of the more popular ones they are wild and i understand why that's the inspo for Nathan yeah. for you as well, for sure. Yeah, makes a lot of sense that he's a magician and mentalism kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he is. Oh, yeah, he is. He's like a magician guy. Yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so now, of course, getting into the rehearsal itself. So the series is a little bit hard to describe, I think in part yeah. because it is continuously like evolving before our very eyes. Like we, as it unfolds, it becomes clear that what we might have initially thought about it is not really what it's so obviously about. So it is to be a little bit more specific. It's, um, I guess you could call it a docu comedy or maybe a docu fiction yeah. more accurately. It stars Nathan Fielder as himself or some on screen version of himself, whose goal is to help strangers rehearse different moments or scenarios in their life so they can better achieve the outcomes that they're looking for. Um, whether that's like, breaking some news to a friend or sort of reconciling with a brother something like that mm-hmm. and uh the precursor for this is the finding francis uh finale of nathan for you which pretty much is kind yeah. of like a i haven't seen it but i i know it it's sort of like the the form as it is and he was very much inspired by the rehearsals that he did for Nathan for you and making the rehearsal. Yeah. So I watched it very recently mm-hmm. finding Francis. I feel like the rehearsal scene in that is very small and doesn't take up most of the episode, mm-hmm. but it is definitely the kernel for it. Like yeah. the rehearsal is definitely docu comedy, but also a little bit more serious. And I don't know whether that's just because yeah. it's the difference between comedy central and HBO uh, which are the two networks from you know between Nathan for you and the rehearsal but yeah it's um it's a fascinating yeah. watch <laughs> yeah I forgot which um review or write-up I read this in but it basically said like you know if the ratio of comedy to tragedy which are you know two sides of the same coin if the ratio of that 
was like more comedy to tragedy Nathan for you it's kind of more flipped here where it's a little bit more tragedy yes. slash seriousness uh and the jokes are sort of like the the punctuation the the accents yeah. on this as for like the actual episodes the first episode is pretty much like what the premise is supposed to be mm. um a very pretty like neatly self-contained thing but the show pretty quickly trains its lens primarily on Nathan's own involvement after that specifically in how he himself joins this woman Angela's rehearsal of being a mother and he becomes the father to this uh, fake child or child played yes. by actors. That is, there's going to be a lot to get into for this discussion, yes. but I'll just <laughs> say like, first off one thing to appreciate about this, if anything else is just like the scale and intricacy of all the work that goes into fielders rehearsals and everything behind the scenes like it's yeah it's really mind-blowing all that he does whether it's like constructing a building like an exact replica of a building to scale or yeah opening a whole training for actors so that he can directly recruit those actors to become the actors in a show um i don't know just every each and every one of these reveals has been surprising to me and just so breathtaking. I have never seen anything quite like this where you yeah. have this pan back and then you see every single thing like where it's it's incredible. Listen, you know, we talk a lot about movie and TV budgets and how expensive they are and it's mm-hmm. usually what we're talking about is fiction. Like mm-hmm. it's narrative, it's it's things that are literally make believe and that requires, you know, an entire crew of you know production designers costume designers uh visual effects like all all the departments are coming together especially for a narrative tv show or a film i think this tv show and i also think nathan for you does a really good job of showing you that even though something looks low budget or lo-fi because it's quote-unquote reality quote-unquote non-fiction no this is like a perfect example of like how actually the budgets can match up pretty quickly yeah and you know the thing with nonfiction, like with with Nathan for you, for example, there are many episodes that took months and months to make because the difference between narrative and and not and something like this is uh, with narrative you can do it within a time frame because you have all the teams coming together. But when you rely on real people or real circumstances, mm-hmm. it just takes a really fucking long time. Um, and so it's like, do, what do you pay for in time and in money? And I feel like in rehearsal, they're pl- they're they're paying in time and money, and it's mm-hmm. like really insane seeing how how expensive this is. And you know what it comes down to for me, Jenny? Yeah. I just can't I can't believe they like they being the network executives get it with him and <laughs> and approve the budgets. Like I feel like I'm surprised that they weren't like this isn't worth it and we don't get it. You yeah. know, yeah, and that's part of the magic of this, right? Yeah, that, like yeah. he got yeah. to do this, and he got to at least something about him or the way that he works or the way that this was presented to like the studio execs, uh, the HBO heads. Something about that convinced them, or at least persuaded them enough to just like let him do, like take their hands away and just like do it, like go for it. Um, yeah. And that yeah. is part of the magic in a sense as well of like the, I don't know, just like the, the craftiness of Nathan Fielder or Nathan Fielder, the, our image of him as like this, 
sort of ingenious, like something otherworldly about him in a way. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just like I can't speak highly enough about every single reveal that that we see. I know. It's just incredible. And now for like the show itself, obviously because it has been sort of evolving before our very eyes. What what would you say like the rehearsal is about to you? So initially I thought it was immersion therapy. Like Nathan for you but immersion therapy where from episode to episode we go from a different person to a different person. Obviously mm-hmm. episode 2 onwards I think, honestly, just because like I've watched Nathan for you for so long, as mm-hmm. soon as it was presented to us that Angela, the woman that is basically rehearsing her mother, her experience of motherhood, mm-hmm. um, that she needed a partner, I was like, he's gonna do it, <laughs> and th- and this is gonna be the rest of the show, and mm. I'm so happy that I was right. <laughs> called it, yeah, because what it essentially is about is Nathan, yeah, and it's. In terms of if we take Nathan out of it and Nathan becomes like the stand-in for all of our of our own personal worst selves, whether it's our most insecure or our most anxious selves, um, I think it's also about humans trying to control something that they ultimately can't, you know, yeah. which is like super heady and existential. Have you seen Charlie Kaufman's film uh, Synecdoche? I think is how you pronounce it. But yeah, it stars Philip Sine- Seymour Hoffman. Have you have you seen that film? Um, I have not, but I've you know seen a lot of sort of reviews comparing it to that. Although you know that film is obviously sort of fictional. Yeah, it's fictional, but it's also I feel like there's no way that Nathan Fielder wasn't inspired by this, including obviously the rehearsal in Finding Francis. I think. Because it's about a theatre director that is so anxious and insecure about himself that he he ends up getting a MacArthur Fellowship and then spends, I don't know, like, what, 50 years with a theatre production where he recounts experiences in his life and rehearses them and it just becomes, like, people playing people. Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, three or four actors playing the same person at different points in the life. He ultimately dies having never been at peace with his own life and having never been at peace with his own anxieties mm. spoiler alert it's it's a very <laughs> weird movie like if you know charlie kaufman he just progressively got weirder and weirder but that's it, that film in terms of the themes and what this is about is basically to me the exact same i think the way that the rehearsal is is obviously like much more accessible than a charlie kaufman film but it's also i think a little bit realer and a little bit truer and obviously the comedy of it all. I think it's it's like there's something deeply funny about the unfunny part of being insecure about how you live your life. So yeah, that's that's it to me. What what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I I definitely agree with that interpretation. <laughs> um, I also think it's it's really interesting to see uh, sort of his mind work in terms of control and like the yes. uh, the aspect of chain of reaction and like factors uh so there's a a pretty good piece in the for the jewish publication you know putting forth this theory or this proposal that fielder's process was basically could be compared to this concept in judaism in which like Mm. the the essence of god is just like infinite and we we get all these like sort of infinite versions of the world like each time you you recreate it and these these are the ways that each world turns out yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah. and fielder is in this view like god as a sense like he yeah is exploding these small worlds and tweaking them and re and you know 
bringing them to life again and that these are all of his different versions of reality um yeah it is really interesting to see that process like as it plays out on the screen like in yeah. his view from the smallest thing like having a flow chart to talk to people over the phone um to, i laugh so hard at that yeah that reveal is great um <laughs> and then of course like creating these fake worlds for people to rehearse their most intimate mm -hmm. you know vulnerable moments and then in real life you know in his rehearsal with angela he is dissatisfied and this is a little bit of spoiler territory also mm -hmm. he mm -hmm. is dissatisfied with how this life has turned out for him and specifically how he has been present or not present for his not his but his child's uh raising and so yeah. he makes his decision as both god but also like the filmmaker uh, the authority mm -hmm. of the project which is essentially god to explode that all up and start again from the start yeah. um so i think that is like a a view that i think pretty much applies to this whether or not it's yeah. related to you know this specific concept in judaism but nathan fielder is obviously jewish and that plays a bigger role in the last episode that we saw um, and and yeah. not only the last episode that we saw but angela is is a christian woman you yes. know she's a Extremely practicing christian. christian yeah she's very extreme um in terms of some of her beliefs uh mm. with regards to the internet and satanism uh, um, yes. and whatnot but um this is a show about faith. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think, like, literal faiths of religions and also faith in humanity and faith in oneself and faith in this world that he builds. Um, and I find that fascinating that that's like the, 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 I guess the knife that cuts through all the tears of it, essentially, mm -hmm. um, of, of <laughs> this cake that he's built. But I'm re I love that though. Like, I think there's something about, faith in general especially religious faith that really tells us something about who we are as people yeah and so now i guess like the elephant in the room whenever you talk about the rehearsal i think is this larger question that has been circulating throughout uh like twitter discourse <laughs> whatever you want to call it um yeah and that question is like is the show exploitative or like is that exploitation the the point and then further, like, or is that being the point not enough to excuse it? Or finally, does that even need excusing in the first place? I think right. it's like pretty much a summary of how all of the, the turns of these, this discourse and the questions that have been asked about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so obviously one of the biggest detractors of the show uh, that has played, you know, a pretty big part in this conversation online about it is... Richard Brody's review in The New Yorker. And yeah. you know Resident we, Curmudgeon. Yeah, we talk about how we love him as 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 the curmudgeon of our times, but we do we don't always agree with him. And I think this mm -mm. review is one of those cases where at least like I can say for myself, like I really don't agree with even just like from yeah. his premise, like the the sort of logic he's using to critique the show. Yeah. I also ultimately don't agree with him. I found myself more often than not disagreeing with Richard Brody. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Like, I don't know what the point was, but it went way over his head and he's too far gone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, he's his, like all the way down right. wherever he is. His review, to summarize it briefly, is he is calling Nathan Fielder's gaze in, in this project like cruel and arrogant. He's saying like basically Fielder is only interested in himself and, you know, his proving his own sort of 
intellectual superiority and his own sort of fame and acclaim uh, and success in the show. And he's, he says he's not interested in the actual process unfolding over time in this project, but in his own intellectual process, in his own like an ingenuity of working out this uh, main conceit that he has. Uh, but this is all ultimately just vanity and ambition for Nathan Fielder. And I think what we take issue with is that like, of course, the character of Nathan Fielder as depicted on screen, it is a vanity project for him in a sense. Um, he mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. arrogant. He is sort of convinced of his own intellect, but that is all applicable. I I think you could say more directly to the character rather than Fielder himself. Yeah, the that's que- the bit. Yeah, that that's sort of the point. And the question might be yeah. like, well, what's the difference? Aren't they one and the same? And it's I think not not quite. You know, there there's no, overlap. Surely they do have like sort of vested interests in each other. But ultimately, Nathan Fielder, the creator, I think we we feel at least like. That is a point to skewer himself mm-hmm. um, most of all in yeah. this sort of untangling of of this experiment. And yeah. yeah, yeah, the way that I see it, it's just amped up all the way to the highest volume of himself. I think. Um, I think it is still him. It's just an extreme version of him, mm-hmm. um, which he knows that he's playing up. And I also he's very self aware of this. Yeah. Oh, completely. And I think for me. And it's just funny that like someone like Brody, who I think he just took this on as a face value thing. And I don't know if the meta part of it is really doing anything for Brody or he cares for it. Um, I deeply care about it. I think there's actually, I love meta narratives. I love films about meta narratives. Mm-hmm. I think there's something not necessarily profound, but like very intelligent about depicting your character of Nathan Fielder in a way that makes him look so stupid and the audience and he trusts the audience enough like the creator nathan trusts the audience audience enough to know that we see him not as someone to uh celebrate necessarily but just someone to critique and someone to like see in ourselves as a worst part of ourselves um or like seeing others like he is ultimately he can ultimately be very mean and very indifferent and and that's that's the joke because it's like that's how people are sometimes like they don't give a fuck they're selfish and they are only interested in themselves and we see it in this character and there's like the comedic relief of it and then also just the apparent nakedness of it is Mm -hmm. is what i think is like is actually profound yeah (laughs) yeah 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 i think um it's possible you could argue that there may may have been some collateral damage in his you know attempt to untangle that in this project like for example in previous projects like nathan for you um in the new york mag profile which is very good and we'll link it Mm -hmm. some of his previous subjects like those those business owners they told new york mag that they ended up they they did feel tricked or manipulated or offended by ultimately what was shown of them on the screen and others of course uh, were were fine with their experience seemingly and in this case you know we do have characters or people i guess i should say they're real people who maybe like they don't like what happened with them on screen or behind the scenes or like how they ended up like we have robin who is just Mm. like completely i don't even know how to describe what's wrong with him but there's robin um there's even people who are like unknowingly sort of 
put on the screen in this way, like Trisha um, in the first episode, or or we think it's unknowingly. We can't actually know for sure because we don't know what happens on the show and who is signed like an NDA. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there are these depictions of real people. They agree to be in the show, of course, like mm. uh, the ones who you know are actual subjects or, or interview subjects. But of course, you can agree to something, but still feel like your your consent was sort of toyed with, or you were manipulated or exploited. Um, that's sort of the whole premise of reality TV, is as yes. well as documentary. Like any depictions of real people and real events, yep. uh, that is the sort of ethical boundary that we are playing with whenever we make these and view them as as sort of consumers of this exactly. type of reality. Exactly. It's funny watching people online talk about the ethics of it and talk about the the production and and how people are depicted. Listen, as someone that has been in the documentary space for the last like five, six years, um, it's the question. It's the philosophical mm-hmm. question of documentary. Yeah. It's it's something that we will we'll keep bumping up against as long as documentaries are made, as long as reality is something is quoted, unquoted. Um, the second you put a camera in front of everyone or a person, things change. Yeah. It's just, it's just the, again, the reality of it is that people are all performing in life all the time. Like to some extent, there is no one true person. That is also like the philosophical issue with human existence itself. And the second you put a camera in front of them, I think that performance is amped up, increased, changed. Um, do I think that the rehearsal or Nathan for you, it, it makes people feel weird because they're faced with someone that is deeply awkward and then a, an awkward person does bring out the awkwardness in ourselves and like we say things that we don't necessarily mean? Absolutely, definitely. But it's just, you know, when it comes to what people are critiquing the show about, well, then we would have to do away with documentary filmmaking because editing at the end of the day is a tool that is used to make these films or to make these shows and editing is i think the thing that people can't seem to wrap their heads around we don't want to watch hours and hours of footage or of how something like truly went down for the sake of like ethics at the end of the day we still need to edit and that is when the truth becomes a little bit skewed or a little bit changed yeah or it's, condensed it's, it's or unavo- diluted it's, yeah it's unavoidable you cannot like, avoid it the you inherent nature it. of yep of this and yeah. yeah i think you're right it raises the question like ultimately the the real question is like well then should we do away with all sort of documentary or reality uh, right. based things and yeah obviously the answer is like that will never happen i think that that cannot happen in a sense for a lot of really important works um yeah. but it, it's just like a sort of discomfort that we all have to sit with as viewers and and some yeah. of us as makers of this kind of thing like right because we're ultimately like untrustworthy of other people um <laughs> is what this comes down to and i think the reason for that is because we again i think we all know that we perform mm-hmm. um as personal as people and i think because we as a collective know that the second cameras are put in front of people we question the authenticity of it and it's because we question our own authenticity yeah. it's just it's so like heady that it all, you know, it ultimately when it comes to results of like what we want to be fixed, it's n- it's not going to be again unless we want to do away with the entire section of filmmaking called documentary or like you know reality. So yeah, yeah, interesting 
discussion, though. Like, I, yeah. I appreciate, yeah. I suppose, like, people even sort of getting into this. Yeah. It's so easy to just sort of make a blanket statement about, you know, this is unethical, we cannot do it, versus, like, well, actually, like, what are the implications of this? And, I mean, at the end of the day, for this particular project, I do think Fielder has deliberately made himself the subject both of like the show and its focus but also the subject of scorn and also the subject of acclaim like any acclaim that comes this series it's all it's all of those and Mm -hmm. uh for better for worse at the end of the day ultimately i do really appreciate having this in existence i think this is even if it's sort of like um murky work it's really fascinating work yeah and a true work of art in a sense it asks something of the audience and i think that is what sets it apart from anything else on tv right now like it really makes you think and i think the reaction to it says a lot about you you know and not to say that you know if you don't like it then you're an idiot but it it challenges you in a way that i don't think anything else really does um and i appreciate it for that for sure continuing our thread of reality what did you watch this week Bellin? so i have been watching love island uk which you can find on hulu just a heads up for any british listeners the american audience on hulu is two weeks behind um and ultimately this season this year's season is done basically i was caught up in the uk side of things don't ask me how um i just Except was thank you to a very kind listener who <laughs> very very kind listener yeah tip yes um i wanted to talk about this jenny because i think there's something going on with the tide when it comes to love island but before we get into that for anybody for some reason that has been living under a rock doesn't know what we're talking about um this is a british reality dating competition show bloody hell that's mouthful (laughs) it was first created in 2005 on itv it ran for two seasons back then with celebrities it went away and then in 2015 the network itv decided to bring it back um this time with uh regular people no celebs the format is i think it's just like heavily influenced by big brother and um it's essentially a group of contestants called islanders uh they stay at a remote villa somewhere in spain i think it's mallorca mm-hmm. um for eight weeks <laughs> they are cut off from the rest of the world and they are filmed nearly constantly and there is an episode that comes out almost every day of the week so with this new twitter world live tweeting situation that we've got going on it's a lot of fun for people to kind of clock into twitter as they're watching and live tweet along with their audience uh it's been i think a huge reason why it's so popular online um mm-hmm. and if you have any british people that you follow on twitter you know that there's a point where they're all talking about love island yeah. um, in the summer months <laughs> so in terms of like the the love side of it or like the reason why it's like a dating show half the contestants are women half the contestants are men um it's very heteronormative there has been one same-sex couple that accidentally <laughs> for the producers came out of this uh, in the in the earlier seasons I reckon the draw of this, and you can kind of tell me if I'm wrong, the the draw of this series is the way that it says the quiet part loud in relationships. So desire, right? And like, are you the most desirable to the person that you find the most desirable? 
is the grass greener mm-hmm. um and how you know if if the grass is greener or isn't how do people react and navigate that um especially like when you've just met a bunch of people and feelings are still kind of in flux um so that's a part of it obviously rooting for certain couples rooting for certain contestants is is definitely a part of it um jenny and i are massive terrace house fans uh rest in mm-hmm. peace terrace house similar format you know like new people coming in new people coming out half the contestants men half the contestants women with terrace house it's very fixed and very small and it's definitely more leaning into reality than it is with this but it kind of scratches that itch if if you want to get into it so throughout it the audiences decide who they like which couples that they have the most they think have the most chemistry people vote in similar mm-hmm. to big brother and uh, this leads to the final winning couple who get £50,000 reward money, which the the couple can decide if they want to split. Or the person, like the the man or the woman in this, decide that they want to split it uh, between the two of them or keep the whole thing for themselves. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that part. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. Well, um, how would they... This is a tangent, but like, wouldn't one person always object if the other person's like, I'm going to keep it all for myself? so that's the thing it's it has to be like once you veto it that's it Mm. so yeah it has to be like if one person wants to keep it to themselves they have the power to keep it to themselves there's no the objections don't matter basically wow so yeah this is a wildly successful show it's one of the most popular shows on itv's history it has had several spin-offs all around the world including the u.s it is very different from how it first started it was very low budget back in the day now it is because the network has been making so much money off it they are they they're in a bigger bigger place uh more aesthetically pleasing place um more of a budget so that being said um i just want to say up top i've only seen two seasons i've seen the 2019 season which i think is season five because i was told that that was the best season so far i still agree with that sentiment and i've also seen this year's season how many seasons have you seen jenny this year is my first season. Wow. Yeah. And Interesting. I, I never thought I would watch this show, to be honest, just because it seemed like a lot getting into it. And I hadn't watched previous mm-hmm. seasons. I'm not like a a bachelor or a bachelorette kind of gal. And I was I assumed this was yeah. something like those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've actually just been I haven't been watching like live or in tune with it as it plays out, but it's more mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've just been like cramming it all in in the last, I want to say like two weeks. And I'm really, I've really gotten a lot of these hours. Like that's, that's so much to go through, but I've gotten through most of it. Yeah. So when we watched the 20, 2019 one, that was last year, we just moved into our new apartment at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was just very soothing to watch, to know exactly what we were going to watch and not yeah. have to like worry about, like it was already decided for us. Yeah. And as a Brit that grew up on EastEnders, you know, our soaps in the UK also come out on the weeknights. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm like primed for watching an episode of something every night and the narrative very, very slowly unfold over the weekdays. So it deceptively hooks you in. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a matter of like, <laughs> if you start watching it, you're going to want to keep watching it. Yeah. Um, the idea, if you don't want to get into it, just don't start because it pulls you in right. and it is it the slow trickle of drama over the over the days is, is is very fun to observe yeah um how did you feel about the contestants this year what so was this your year main in particular? takeaway yes i thought first of all i thought it was amazing how 
the editing and just the way that these episodes are put together, it can really change my opinion, at least of characters, like one episode to another, even like scene to scene. And that it made me cognizant in a way that I tend to just like ignore when I'm watching a lot Mm -hmm. of reality shows of just yeah. the the power, the magic of editing and the, the manipulation of what we see on screen and the manipulation of basically our views and our perception of these strangers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. So, like, for example, I'm now pretty much firmly in the camp of these guys, especially, all kind of suck. Oh, yeah. There are moments, yeah. like, throughout the series early on where I was like, oh, that's that's a nice lad whatever um but i think especially the casa more and everything to do with mm-hmm. tasha and andrew's sort of relationship everyone weighing in on that uh it really turned me off of most of these guys yes. and there are a couple maybe that i'm like all right they're fine um andrew for example but you know even he had his moments but yeah it's just yeah. i don't really know if this is normal to have a yeah. slate of guys who seem so uniformly awful at least at least in like one moment and then it's hard for me to shake that impression of them even episodes later yeah so again i've only seen two seasons so i'm gonna speak on experience compared to 2019 these guys are fucking assholes yeah i do not i do (laughs) not think i do not think that like they are necessarily any different uh, with how they view women, mm-hmm. um, like these two cohorts of the 2019 versus 2022 lot. However, my God, were they bold and brave uh, showing their true toxic masculine selves this year. It was actually nuts how sexist it, it was. Um, mm. It was also fascinating watching the girls' reaction to it compared yeah. to the girls in 2019 who were very ready to fight <laughs> um, and stick up for themselves. Yeah, not much um, of that going on here. Not much of that going on here. And I've got to say, the difference between 2019 and this year, the gameplay or what I feel like the contestants are doing, which is gameplay, mm-hmm. is so much more apparent, which ultimately doesn't work for a show like this you don't want to see gameplay it isn't survivor you know this is that the whole premise is attraction and like genuine attraction and genuine chemistry right Mm -hmm. so to see this year's contestants both men and women alike ultimately either like get louder or silence themselves uh in order to kind of stick within a couple because like if you are single, you risk being booted off because you haven't coupled up. Yeah. So the safety in being coupled up is ultimately worth keeping, you know, quiet about yeah. certain things about. And I think it just tipped too much into gameplay and not enough into maybe some of these girls or, or well, certainly not the men. They were definitely being them tr- their true selves, but like some <laughs> of the women maybe not sticking up for, the, for themselves consistently, you know, and like making sense of it. Yeah. yeah, like Casa Amor is such a pivotal moment yes. because it comes halfway through the two month stint. And again, it's um, they send the girls off or the boys off and then there's a whole group of new uh, women and new men um, for the girls to kind of bring back or the boys to bring back and decide if they want that person that they met in Cas- the new person that they met in Casa Amor to replace their current uh, couple that they have in the Love Island villa. Um, so the whole point is that, like, do you want to throw a grenade at what you've built over the past month or not? And 
just it it was such a it was such a dramatic moment um this year and it ultimately fizzled out because yeah. there wasn't any permanent breakup from any of the couples that were definitely going through it um yeah it got so really it, it got really tedious at a certain point like oh, yeah. you you see there's absolutely no change happening you know all the couples mm-hmm. who leave are the ones you expect because they're the newer ones they're the ones yes. who have not been here the longest been able to build these alliances and it makes sense, I guess, to the contestants, but it's just, as a viewer, it was so tiring at a point to watch yeah. that and be like, well, this is kind of like the futility of everything here. And yeah. it did seem they're very cognizant of, of how it worked. And I think that's a risk that happens with most, if not all, like reality competition shows at a certain yeah. point. Like people yeah. who come on the show come on the show with a certain sort of strategy or gameplay in mind. And yeah. they because they're more aware of the rewards that lie at the finish line or past the finish line. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there's just, I don't want to say there's not as much authenticity because like, whatever, but it becomes like more sterile and calculated in a sense. Yeah. It's also the pros and cons, right? Of the risk of auth- authenticity. So yeah. the pros are... You know, if you are well liked by the public, but a lot of these contestants, they end up getting, again, with the rise of social media, a lot of deals, uh, yeah. like through Instagram or like influencer deals, yes. um, all of that. And then obviously club appearances, uh, in, in the UK too. Like a lot of people just ride out the rest of their careers with club appearances, which is like really sad. <laughs> um, but it is real. Um, and, you know, it might lead to hosting jobs or like whatever it might be. It, it, again, if you are well liked, if you are not well liked, unfortunately, the British public and the British media, infamously terrible, just infamously evil, evil people <laughs> when it mm-hmm. comes to how they perceive a person. So much so that four people have died by suicide because of this show, Jesus um, including the host, including the first host. And yeah. it's wild to me. You know, we brought up Terrace House. We are huge Terrace House fans. Ultimately, we are totally okay with it never coming back because there yeah. was a death by suicide. Uh, the media company that owns the rights to Terrace House has decided it's just never going to happen. I'm totally fine with that. We'll live to see another. It was fun while it lasted. Mm-hmm. We'll live. However, unfortunately, diametrically opposite reaction for the Love Island, uh, you know, all the deaths by suicide and also by ITV. They ultimately decided that they made too much money from it to care. So they stuck a counselor in there um you know made sure that everybody was like extra extra vetted for mental health issues but it doesn't matter because it does ruin your life if people don't like you so a lot of these contestants are worried about how they're perceived yeah you know whenever there is a vote for the most popular or the like not as popular couple or person they have to go up there and in front of their uh, other housemates like react to the fact that the public doesn't think that they're popular because again they've been siloed off for weeks and weeks and weeks and this is the only information that they're getting yeah a lot of the other contestants were really mean to tasha every time she cried about being in the bottom she was consistently in the bottom Mm -hmm. but this is what i mean like it's it of course there's gameplay because there has to be because people are so worried about how they're perceived at the same time it's what makes the show miserable to watch once you start seeing the seams of it all Um, yeah so and i again this like sort of raises the question like then is it if the show and the most importantly the the stakes of the show what happens after what happens based on the edits of you of on the show and the public's reaction to that does it make it inherently 
unethical and sort of like an evil yeah. sort of show. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just um, the thing that really interested me and the reason why I think I wanted to chat about it this week is mm-hmm. there was a lot of chat online about producers especially with regards mm. to the men and their sexism and like how they're depicting it so you know it's it's been brought up before where people are like where are the producers what are they doing like mm-hmm. why aren't they you know this that this that and the other um and i think this time it felt like more concerning because the men were being so rampantly sexist um at, like completely unchecked it seemed mm-hmm. um i will say i think there is uh for those that don't know there is like a tannoy system where if any of the contestants are doing something that they shouldn't be doing like napping during the hours where they should be recording they're told to get up um they are like the contestants are paid 250 pounds a week to just attend uh to be on the show when they eat their dinners which are catered they are told to sit separately so that there isn't Mm. any moments where things aren't being recorded and then obviously there's a confessional booth where the producers talk to the, I think the producers talk to the contestants one-on-one a lot, especially during the dinner hours uh, where their mics are being charged or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So there is, there's obviously orchestration happening. If you know anything about reality dating shows, you know that producers play a huge role. And I thought it was fascinating that people were suddenly concerned about what was being shown on camera and why the producers were letting it happen. And I think I texted this to you like last week or something. Do I think that the producers uh, are worried about being the villains in this because of the history of the death by suicide? Absolutely. Mm. And I do think that there is some kind of check that's being happen that's happening with the producers in the network for sure. But ultimately, when it comes to this year's drama, for example, with the men, it's drama. It's why we watch it. Yeah. There's a reason why they let them do that. There's a reason why we're now all getting riled. And there's a reason why that feeds back into the reason why they don't let them, they don't check that kind of behavior, you know? Yeah. It is sort of like a, it's a catch 22 in that the show needs drama because that's why we watch. When it's boring, like when they're sitting around, I mean, I get bored. I fast yeah. forward. I skip to the the moments where there there is conflict or there is drama or there is yeah. uh, gossip. Yep. And so again, it's like us as the viewers, we are creating the demand for this. Yeah. But also condemning the events that sort of are at the, are at the heart of this yeah. drama. And yep. it is. <laughs> I mean, we're culpable too. You know, like we can't have we can't demand both for there to be. Yeah drama for our entertainment but also no drama that is sort of uh, potentially harmful or you know has negative repercussions on yeah. the contestants because all all of this drama has that potential in a sense so yeah, yeah. again like i don't know reality tv and documentary it's and just, especially reality, yeah, it's just like when you yeah. think too hard about it yeah it it's like yeah. okay i okay this should not exist i should not be watching bin. this like yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah I mean, with with something like this, especially because it's uh, UK and it's ITV, which is like one of the five channels that the public gets to access if they have a TV license. Mm. It's not private. It's not like a. Uh, it's not like Sky or like one of the cable networks. Basically, mm-hmm. they do have to adhere to a certain set of standards. And like the contestant Jacks, for example, you know, just massive prick just a huge (laughs) dickhead for anybody that has a brain and was watching it you can clearly see he's a prick Mm -hmm. um but apparently he bullied 
like one of the only black contestants on the on the show and he came out and said yeah remy and like we never saw that you know we never saw that and i don't know if that was the right choice necessarily because i guess the producers didn't want to be accused of setting up an instance or setting up a, a scenario or an environment where racism is running rampant for example all of that it's all very murky it's all very like who gets to decide what we see and what we don't see and how does that make certain contestants look mm-hmm. um and how does that you know ultimately what's the effect on the public you know um so all of that is i totally get and i think that's a very very fair critique dude this year was so bad like <laughs> i'm so over it i'm really i'm and i've only this is only my second one i know like halfway through this season just watching the men be the way that they were and like me understanding that it was all gameplay and that the girls weren't gonna stick up for themselves dude i'm like this is the last year that i'm watching it like i'm i'm over Damn. it i came in for a little bit i was passing through i'm out and i think like you said like you think too much about it you're like why am i watching this that's what happened this year I thought about it and I was like, literally, don't know why I'm watching this. So it's a shame because uh, I think it's a lot of fun and a lot of banter, especially in the summer months where the, the TV landscape is a little bit dry. Yeah. And I do like to have like one reality show in my TV diet mix. Um, yeah, I can't I can't take the Love Island mess anymore, man. That's fair. It's too much. Um, can I ask... If you had a favorite contestant or couple from this season, Ekansu and Davide. Honestly, like I think Davide is a massive prick, but from the very beginning, I knew that these two would uh, end up being together because Ekansu is Turkish, and I know Turkish <laughs> women, and they love to be bullied by their men. Oh, <laughs> they love, they love a big meanie um, that they eventually soften up, which may- which is exactly what happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I-, I think they were the most entertaining for sure. Yeah. Um, how about how about you? Do you have a favorite? I think it's a tie for me, Davide and Ekansu, of course. Mm-hmm. And I also ended up having quite a big soft spot for Tasha and Andrew. Aww. I think yeah. all the the hell that the show and the other Islanders put them through, you know, of course, yeah. both of them made mistakes at different points. But I really, truly, in sort of a sad parasocial way, I guess, I, mm. I think that they at least my impression is that they ended up coming out stronger and actually seem to really care for each other, which is, yeah, 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 yeah. it's, it's warm to see. I also think Dami and India are like, I think they look really good together and I hope that for the sake of their, uh, media careers from here on out, um, they keep it pushing and, and stay together, but who fucking knows? Like a lot of these couples do end up splitting up. There have been like some marriages and, and oh. kids being had. Oh wow. Um so yeah. I really like Gemma as a person. I just have no idea what she's doing with Luca. I no. really, really, really do not understand it. And it makes me lose respect for her. So that's uh <laughs> that's a that's why she's not my favorite. Otherwise she would be if she was with anybody else. She, um, yeah, otherwise she seems to have like a very level head on her, which is surprising yeah. for someone so young and from such a such a family background. I, I oh guess. my gosh, she's so young. Yeah. I kept forgetting and I was like, Raw, she's actually like the most mature out of everyone here. Yeah. Um but I'm really happy for Ekin. I hope she I think she could be a great host, for example. Uh, yeah. for Love Island itself. So for Culture Notes this week, we are very quickly going to list off some shows and movies that we're excited about for the second half of the year. Jenny, do you want to take it away 
for for your sure. little list? Yeah, so I have just a, a short TV list um, because, as everyone knows, I'm more of a TV person. Mm-hmm. So the two big ones for me are House of the Dragon, which is obviously the Game of Thrones prequel that is going to come out in late August on HBO. You know, I watch all of Game of Thrones in 2020, and although it ended on kind of a, a mixed note, I can't resist a big old epic fantasy and i'm just really curious how this will turn out so i agree yeah, yeah that's one for me i'm excited about it yeah um the other one which is coming out like a week after house of the dragon is the lord of the rings uh the rings of power series on amazon mm. again similar reason um i actually love the lord of the rings trilogy film trilogy and it'll just be interesting to see if all of amazon's money is put to good good to use in like producing <laughs> and actually good fantasy show um tbd but excited about that and then i just Mm -hmm. have one more thing on my list which is kind of a throwaway but you know if you need something of this sort in your diet like here it is selling the oc the selling sunset spinoff oh yeah Um, that is coming out on netflix also in late august so yeah you know just some light trash tv for background watching and we do need a drama that isn't about christine yes Uh, yes finally yes um sweet so for me um i too i'm also excited about house of dragon as Mm -hmm. a game of thrones alumni the two tv shows that i'm excited about uh which are both coming out in september i think there's one called the patient on hulu it's a limited series first of all so tick um and then it's also from the creators of the americans which is one of my favorite tv shows of all time and so Steve Carell plays a therapist who gets kidnapped by a serial killer played by Donald Gleason um, to get him to fix his uh, sordid addiction. So excited for that. Um, I'm also excited for American Gigolo, which is going to be on Showtime. Comes out September 11th. 11th. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's John Bernthal fucking uh, self-explanatory. Um, <laughs> and then um, so um, there's that. And then in terms of movies, I'm really excited for Don't Worry Darling because it's so controversial, yes. uh, which is the yeah. Olivia Wilde film uh, star- starring our fave uh, Florence Pugh. Very, very controversial film uh, just in general. We'll get into it. And then also Fablemans, which is Steven Spielberg's uh, semi-autobiographical film that's going to be coming out i think in november sometime so i'm excited for those two films um and those two tv shows let us know what you are excited about uh there is so much coming down the pipeline we just had to kind of skim off the top of what we're excited about obviously abbott elementary is returning obviously uh black panther wakanda forever is coming out soon which is super exciting the trailer was amazing um but if there is anything else that we are missing out on please please let us know Apart from the th- stuff that you are looking forward to, if you are currently watching anything that you think we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram. For extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and more, please subscribe to our newsletter, criticismisdead.substack.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts with a five stars if you can swing it. And uh, tell a friend about us. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Jijia. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lu. 